1: Hey, this is Jen Pilcher, Navy spouse of 23 years. And when I'm not helping military spouses connect in our digital community, I'm stacking Benjamins.
2: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. <laughs> I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and my crazy calendar says today is National Talk Show Day. So, to celebrate, everyone look under your chair. You're all going to win. No? We mean I can't do that on internet radio. Well, all right, I tried. Wow, that might have flopped. Today, we'll learn how to ignite success in 52 easy steps with a woman who started a talk show of her own on XM Sirius Satellite Radio, Dr. Melanie Katzman. But first, we'll head to our headlines where behind door number one, you'll get to hear all about expungement. Wow, that sounds uh, uh, scintillating. Then, for the big showcase showdown, I'll delight families and children everywhere with my knowledge in our trivia segment. And now, two guys who are not the father, Joe and ojjjj
0: I don't know. Some people have called us the fathers of financial podcasting. which
3: How'd they call you the grandfather?
0: Well, which I always find funny because I feel like it detracts from some people that have been podcasting way, way, way before us. Yeah, but they're not as good. So well, <laughs> in your self-deprecating manner,
3: or as so humble.
0: Across the card table from me today, that's my co-host OG. I
3: think I'm gonna change it up a little bit. Now, from now, on, I'm gonna be co-host Gio.
0: Oh co go. go, 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 go. And uh, I'm no, Joe High Average Joe Money on Twitter. No, it doesn't sound as good, but
3: not the fake OG on Twitter,
0: but it's something new.
3: It's always need a lot new. of followers because I tried to get my sandwich corrected uh, from a mistake Panera made the other day and I didn't get no love. And then I said, Hey, at Average Joe Money, help, help me out. And then all of a sudden,
0: boom. And by the way, I didn't even my retweet mistake. it or anything. I did. I did nothing with it, you know. Like a good friend is want to do. Just uh,
3: merely being in your presence as increased my stature. Well, you know
0: why, dude? It's because I smell so good. Yeah, that's it. Special thanks, by the way, to Native for supporting stacking Benjamins. There should be like a better phrase there. Thanks to Native for helping stack for helping the basement smell wonderful. I don't know for helping the basement stay cool. Native makes safe, simple, effective products people use in the bathroom every day with trusted ingredients and trusted performance. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and enter promo code SB during checkout. Of course, we are big fans, OG, as you know, of QuickBooks, and thanks to them for supporting stacking Benjamin. save time and money like we do when you use Intuit QuickBooks for your financial management needs you can save an average of 600 bucks a year by paying your employees with Intuit QuickBooks payroll check it out today at intuit.me it's intuit.me/sb great show today melanie katzman on the show today this woman ran a show that i really liked on Wharton Business Radio on Sirius Satellite Radio. Melanie Katzman is here. She's going to talk about 52 easy steps, OG, to ignite success in your career. And what's amazing is, as a mentor of mine once said, the question isn't, have you heard these before? The question is, what are you doing about them? Because a lot of us have heard a lot of stuff. Implementation's a whole different deal. Melanie Katzman's here. We're about to talk to Jim Miller from J.D. Power. But first, we got another headline, so let's move.
4: Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines.
0: Our first headline today comes from Investment News. This is a discussion you and I were having yesterday as I was trying to get my head around this. But I think this is pretty important, OG. This comes to us from Mark Schaaf. We actually got the press release that this media briefing was happening uh, securities lawyers call on FINRA to halt expungement process. The PIABA report charges systemic abuse of the procedure for clearing brokers' disciplinary records. We'll dive in, and then we'll talk about what this is all about. Mark shoff writes, Securities lawyers representing investors released a report Tuesday showing that the arbitration process by which brokers can clear their records of customer disputes is rife with abuse and called on FINRA to halt such proceedings. The study by the Public Investors Arbitration Bar Association Foundation said the so-called expungement process is being systematically gamed. That's a quote, by the way. Is being systematically gamed, exploited, and abused with one-sided hearings, manipulation of arbitrator selection, deletion of significant customer complaints, and abusive and possibly fraudulent conduct to such an extent that it must be frozen until it can be repaired, end quote. The number of expungement-only cases filed rose from 59 in 2015 to, get this, 545 in 2018 and involved 2,194 customer complaints, according to the report. Expungement was granted 81% of the time in 2018, down from 93% in 2015. An expungement-only case is one in which brokers initiate an action against their own firms without naming a customer. The number of customer disputes being removed from the records of registered r- representatives is undermining the integrity of BrokerCheck, an online database maintained by the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, according to the study. We've talked about this before, OG. Send people a broker check. Take a look at their record. And now this group is saying, hey, FINRA, you're letting too many people erase, erase, erase when it comes to their record.
3: <laughs> erase, erase, erase. Didn't happen. Yeah, this is pretty frustrating. Although there has to be a method to get stuff cleared up. I think there has to be a method for inaccurate things to be cleared up that's not onerous. So much of the other side of that pendulum is guilty until proven innocent. You've talked about a situation that you had where you were not even involved with it. Right. And you got a ding on your former broker check record, even though you weren't—you had nothing to do with it. And if you try to get rid of it, they're like, yeah, sorry. It sure sounds like there's a little hanky-panky going on.
0: Which isn't good because if the customer can't trust the system of making sure that abusers get reported. I mean, here's the thing. I don't like some of our reviews on iTunes. And I actually wish that there was a way for us to reply. I wouldn't reply to all of them like some of the dingbats do on Yelp or on TripAdvisor. Some of these restaurant owners, Ooh, like
3: well, that one. Remember could, that one? Yes, that was like one of the first ones.
0: I've had uh. I've had times before though where I haven't eaten at a restaurant because of the the management's reply. But there certainly are some that I wish I had some way Repartee. to get that. Yeah, so being able to go back, had I wanted to, had I cared enough to have this one nick on my record cleaned up, I like that the fact- That wasn't your fault. But Well, I like the fact that this exists. I like right. the fact that it exists. However, if you can't trust the process, I mean, I don't even- If you f-
3: look at Bernie Madoff and it says, Saint,
0: <laughs> right?
3: Bernie Madoff, <laughs> <laughs> you know something's wrong.
0: Bernie Madoff, don't you mean Saint Bernie Madoff? Exactly. Don't you mean his holiness, yeah. Bernie Madoff?
3: Well, and the problem is, is that there's no way to know whether or not that that occurred. Because you think about it, it's like for you, you have an issue. If you're an advisor, it's easily addressed, right? If somebody looked it up and said, hey, Joe, tell me about the thing that happened in 1994 or whatever. You can go, oh, yeah, let me tell you that story. It was really screwed up. And then people will go one way or the other. They go, yeah, okay, whatever. Or they'll say, oh, yeah, I can't tell," You know. Can't do it. But if there's nothing there, who are the greatest offenders of this? It's going to be people that have 42 things on their list that are like, I would pay a million dollars to get rid of these 42 things so that I can go swindle another hundred million dollars out of people or whatever the deal is. And
0: that to me is the point, because having one nick on my record, not worth my time to clean it up.
3: Yeah. So the greatest offenders are the ones that are the worst. And you'll never know when you look online because it says nothing about them. Yeah. Maybe I should go get a ding on my record just to clear things up.
0: Just to have one. Nah,
3: nah, I'll keep it clean.
0: (laughs) And in our second headline, well, we've we've all heard the phrase, cash is king, but we've also reported here a lot about banks helping people move away from cash. But are you and your friends moving toward more plastic? Here with the results of a recent J.D. Power & Associates poll survey on that very topic on My dead shortwave radio. Let's say hello to Jim Miller from J.D. Power. Jim, how are you, man? I'm doing well, Joe. How are you? Uh, well, I'm fantastic, but this is this is confusing. I have to tell you, when I heard you guys were doing this survey, I kind of thought I knew where it was going, and then I saw the results. I found them incredibly surprising. Did you find them surprising?
5: I did. I expected something a little bit different, so I kind of assumed cash was... Uh... Something people weren't very interested in, you know, I'm not exactly, you know, like one of the millennials, so I still carry cash, but I hear a lot of people don't, so I wanted to find out what was really going on.
0: Yeah, so let's dive in. Tell me the numbers. What The sheer numbers of people carrying cash, as you alluded to earlier, bigger than we might have thought. 81%
5: of the respondents said they carried cash. Maybe we expect that with older customers, so those that are over 60, 90% carry cash, but... You know, when we looked, um, 18 to 29-year-olds, the generation that we would say, you know, don't have anything to do with cash, 78% of them said they typically carry cash.
0: That was so surprising to me, just the fact that the millennials didn't drop off at all, Jim.
5: No, not much of a drop-off. They used cash. Overall, 67% of all customers said they used cash to buy something in the last week. And, you know, when we look across the age groups, it ranges from 65 to 69%. So. I'm not saying that there's not a lot of plastic being used out there, and especially for larger purchases, but we still have a cash economy in some ways.
0: Yeah, wow. Did you ask the question why people are carrying so much cash? We did. 60% of
5: consumers who carry cash said they have it just in case of an emergency. I understand that. What surprised me was half of them said they prefer to use cash for small purchases. That one was a little bit surprising Others forty two percent said they carry cash in case they need to give tips. There's also nineteen percent who said that they carry cash because they think that cash helps them better manage their budget.
0: Wow why do you just because they can mete out dollars better instead of uh, you know having it go on a card and they forgot about purchases, you think that's why?
5: that 's right, so there are some people who use the envelope system or other things, and cash works in in that way and then just the feel of spending cash, you realize you 're spending it we 've all swiped cards too much, and at the end of the month amazed at how much we can spend so um, you know I think there 's something to be said for that.
0: What about uh, the amount of money people have on them at any time? I know, you know, if I have, if I have more than 20 bucks on me at any time, Jim, (laughs) that is surprising to everybody, mostly me. But uh, I'm wondering if more people are like me or do people carry more money than I do? Typically, it's fairly small
5: denominations. Most people carry between $1 and less than $50. That makes up about half of the population. Fifteen percent of people carry between fifty and ninety nine and then ten percent a hundred dollars or more, so it seems to be people want cash for those small purchases or when a card isn't accepted, but on the bigger dollars, that's still being uh plastic or you know mobile to more and more
0: what's the so what you think here, Jim? Do you think it's a so what for retailers that maybe keeping the cash option alive is not only viable, but something they should stay focused on?
5: Yeah, I think there's a good point there. Um, So earlier this year, there were a number of uh, media stories about cities that were requiring, uh, or states that were requiring businesses to accept cash. Um, So one of the questions we asked in the survey, and this one really surprised me, is should businesses be required to accept cash? 78% of the respondents said they should be required to accept cash. Um, so I think for those businesses, small businesses that are thinking, I shouldn't bother accepting cash. It's a pain. I have to take it to the bank. Be careful. I think the customers want to choose how they pay.
0: Yeah. I think even without a rule that says that you that you need to accept cash, I think your numbers show that not accepting cash is uh, at a business's peril. Anything we didn't talk about, Jim, that surprised you about your survey? I've
5: often thought, you know, I'm in the banking and payments business, so much of this was about technology, but really in looking at the data, we see there's other impacts on society. So if you look about the people who are carrying cash for tips, there are a lot of people that are dependent on tips, and if we move dramatically away from the use of cash, what happens to their their income? What happens to the people who can't have bank accounts that are underbanked or don't have access to bank accounts and are living with cash and suddenly if they go to a store and it doesn't accept cash, they're shut out. So one of the things that this really got me thinking about is this is not all about just making it easier for people to pay with mobile or plastic, but if we're going to move cashless, there has to be a solution for everybody in our society.
0: Yeah, great takeaway. Jim? Thanks a ton for hanging out with us for a few minutes and talking about maybe a cashless society being a little further away than we thought.
5: (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it.
0: Big thanks to Jim Miller for calling in the shortwave. I get what people like Dave Ramsey say, carrying cash much better than your debit card. I am horrible with cash in my wallet. I am far better with... just need bigger bills. (laughs) Maybe. I'm far better with the debit card. I don't spend money that freely with a debit card. If I got 20 bucks in my wallet, baby, it's gone.
3: Yeah. Try uh, carrying around 50s for a while. See if that changes your behavior. I mean, you'd have to have enough money to have 50s. but
0: Carry a few Benjamins.
3: Benjis. Yeah. I mean, you got to rep the brand.
0: <laughs> gotcha. I'm sorry, i It does Stack say Cheryl.
3: stacking Hamiltons.
0: I got to carry 10 of these around. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't
3: know what to tell you guys. Yeah,
0: That just sounds dangerous, by the way, carrying 10 Benjamins. I, I think about that. And I'm like, no, thank you.
3: Meanwhile, you've got a Amex card in your wallet that just anybody could use any place in the world for any amount of money, and that doesn't concern you at all.
0: But I, I guess no, there's no... I to say, no. I've got some fraud protection there. I was going to say,
3: you got some fraud protection there, I
0: suppose. Yeah. yeah. I've got none. Somebody steals my 10 Benjamins. What's my recourse?
3: Kick some ass. Take some <laughs> names, dude.
0: <laughs> you've watched a Claude Van Damme movie before. <laughs>
3: It's Saint Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> to you.
0: Hello. Yeah, the new Rambo's out, Joe. We know what happens. I heard it was terrible, though,
3: which is unfortunate.
0: Isn't that sad? You know something that can clean up a lot of things but can't clean up that is Native. Imagine if you could deodorize a movie to make it better. This movie stinks. I know what we'll do. We'll use Native. <laughs> <laughs> now it's better.
3: At least it smells in here.
0: I could hear the Native people typing to us already. Uh, don't rep our brand that way. Native makes safe, simple, and effective products that people use in the bathroom every day with trusted ingredients and trusted performance. Native can hang with you, your workout, your busy life, those 16-hour podcasting days. They have fewer, simpler ingredients, so you know everything that's in deodorant. It's also safe and effective. Comes at a wide variety of enticing scents for men and women. Plus, they release new limited edition of seasonal scents throughout the year. I could smell like pumpkin spice with Native.
3: Mm, they sound so delicious.
0: They don't do. They don't do pumpkin spice. You do smell like pumpkin spice, Joe. <laughs> they do it. Uh, back away, pal. They do uh, eucalyptus and mint, which is the one that I like. You're a big fan of the lavender and rose. Duh. There's also coconut and vanilla, which is their most popular scent, and cucumber emit. Native offers free returns and exchanges inside the U.S. If you subscribe, you'll save 17%, save $2 per stick, and have Native conveniently delivered to your door every one, two, three, or four months. If you're only getting deodorant delivered to your house every four <laughs> I was months. Say,
3: if you're only using it enough to consume once every four months, that- might I suggest. That might be the problem. That
0: may be the reason why your career isn't going the way that you don't. Get 20% off your first purchase by visiting nativedeodorant.com and entering promo code SB during checkout. That's 20% off your first purchase heading to nativedeodorant.com and entering promo code SB at checkout. So I think our takeaways here are, number one, when it comes to carrying cash, uh, I think I think know yourself is probably... A one, but B, for the time being, sadly, it looks like you might have to look a little deeper than broker check to, uh, to verify that your advisor is doing what you hope they do. Dr. Melanie Katzman getting ready to come down to the basement. She is such an expert in executive development, group dynamics, and leadership diversity. Of course, she founded Katzman Consulting in 1999. She's worked with tons of businesses, some of the biggest businesses in the land, OG, to help their executives uh, work better. Listen to these names. Accenture, Bain Consulting, Goldman Sachs, MTV, PwC, and Viacom worked in 31 countries. She's also a partner on the global social enterprise Leaders Quest, which serves a community of 12,000 members, facilitating cross-sector strategic discussions on pressing economic and social problems. She's held faculty positions in psychiatry at Weill Cornell Medical Center and the University of London, senior fellow at Wharton Business School Center for Leadership and Change Management, and was a visiting professor at Bocconi Business School in Milan, the Henley School of Management in Henley-on-Thames, England, and the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Is is there something she hasn't done? Of course, as I mentioned, she was one of the co-creators. She co-created the show Women at Work on SiriusXM Satellite Radio. But right now, she's here in the basement with us. We are thrilled that Dr. Melanie Katzman is going to help you ignite your career. And coming down the stairs to the basement on her world tour. I'm so glad she included us. Dr. Melanie Katzman, how are you? I'm great, Joe. You have a wonderful mom. Is it she is, you know, people talk about people's better half. I always feel like there's this huge sense of disappointment, Melody, when people get down here. Like after her, I can't compete.
6: I'll, I'll evaluate that during the next few minutes, but I got to tell you, you know, if you want to know if somebody's going to be a great conversationalist, look to their mom. And I had a great time chatting with her.
0: Well, that is great. And coming from you, that is a big compliment because you've <laughs> yes. talked to it's so- like,
6: We psychologists specialize in moms and in dads.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. And, and the connection there. Uh, you've lived all over the world, by the way. You've done so many different things. You say- Our children are grown like my kids are, but they assure me that I have yet to mature. (laughs) Is there something great about this idea of not maturing, of not growing up?
6: Yeah. I mean, I always think about kids as having this wonderful sense of excitement and adventure. And as we get older, we start to become hyper-rational and think about all the potentially negative consequences. And as a result, we restrict ourselves. And sometimes I just want to be a goofball. You know, I'm very serious about the work that I do, but I never want to take myself too seriously. And I think that's the part of just, I don't want to grow up where I'm always worried about the mortgage and the to-do list. I worry about those, but it's also space to just have fun.
0: I've also wondered, you know, living and visiting much of the world, I'm wondering if that's also affected your work, if the differences in cultures and the way people talk, has that had any influence on the work that you've done?
6: Many different influences. So one of the things that's actually pretty funny is the first time I was speaking at a conference uh, when I just moved overseas, somebody raised their hands and said, "Um, Dr. Katzman, can you please speak slower? Not everybody here is a native English speaker. And I said- Oh! I'm from New York. This is me speaking slower. <laughs> um, so it's like, oh, you know, we have to become aware of the very things that we might do that inadvertently aggravate or people or don't at least promote the best discussion. But absolutely, living around the world is a great way of seeing the commonalities that so many of us share. Um, having had the opportunity to work with people at different kinds of organizations, different sectors of society, people who have overt power in their business life and those who are kind of the recipient of whatever attention or care someone will offer, I've seen that there are so many common threads and that absolutely impacted the work I've done over the years and the book that I've just completed.
0: Well, it's interesting. And I want to dive into a few of the early themes in Connect First. But I guess as you're talking, I'm feeling like at work, we don't often recognize that there is a power hierarchy at a job. And a lot of times the boss has no idea the impact they're having on the people around them.
6: Absolutely. What I often say to people is the higher up you go in the power hierarchy, the easier it is to forget the impact of your actions. You get up in the morning and you're brushing your teeth, you look in the mirror, it still looks like you, but actually when you're walking down the hall and you're someone who's in a position of making important decisions that affect everybody around you, they're watching your every behavior you're in a bad mood because you had a fight with your wife, they think maybe they did something wrong at the office. You're distracted because you're aggravated that you didn't have a, a good score at your weekend golf game or what have you, but somebody can personalize that. So too often, I think we forget that we may read our effect on people on a scale of one to 10 as a two. But in fact, and again, the more significant a role you play in an organization the higher on that that scale people are reading your behavior so got to check that dial
0: well and i found that interesting on that note it the in during the introduction of the book you begin with this huge fallacy you say and and by the way being a guy who's been in business for a long time reading some great books like the E-Myth, which is a phenomenal book about building a better organizational chart and building systems. The E-Myth is probably my favorite book, but you write that we think in business, life is great if we build an awesome org chart, we have these great, awesome procedures, we have a nice workflow, then the work's going to magically happen. But you say that that's all gar- that that's garbage. I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, it's fine, but there's another ingredient that needs to be, that we need to cultivate.
6: Yes, because you put all those boxes onto your chart, but then you fill them with people. And people are filled with emotion and passion and things they care deeply about and ways that they are proud and ways that they get wounded. And so it's a bit messier than those beautiful charts. Now, that mess is the delightful muck from which we grow wonderful relationships and from, you know, which great flowers and gardens may bloom. But there's muck. And we shouldn't be afraid of it, but we also need to recognize that that's it. It's complicated and it's messy. And that's the interesting part about work. But we try to tidy it up often to
0: our own demise. You have 52 different steps in connecting, 52 unique ideas that are put together in different sections. So to kind of introduce people to your work here, you start off, though, with respect, Mm-hmm. Why do you, you have so many important ideas about others and being magnetic and all kinds of things? Why do you start with establish respect?
6: It is the absolute foundation of all relationships. So without respect... We tune out, we detach, we don't engage with the people around us. I mean, just before this conversation, I was in my office and talking to somebody who told me that they weren't introduced by their proper name. They weren't given a last name. They went into a meeting where their colleagues spoke, hogged the stage, never even acknowledged their presence. With that kind of disrespect, the individuals can't even be their best selves, can't provide the information that a client or a colleague is after because we just turn off. So I started with respect because it is the most basic. We often screw up the basics and as a result, we lose the entire
0: opportunity. Well, and it's funny because I want to go through some of those basics and it's amazing how basic these are. And as I'm reading them, I'm going, oh yeah, Oh, I didn't do that today. Like literally did not do some of these things, which we'll get into. But do you think, though, first that we feel disrespect too much? I feel like sometimes people feel like they're offended and sometimes it's very frustrating because I didn't mean to offend somebody. I mean, obviously, I need to be cognizant of that, too. But there have been situations I've been in where I feel like somebody got really offended by something I said where I didn't really mean anything by it.
6: Absolutely. I mean, look, I coach people to not be injustice collectors. You know, if you're going to exercise a particular microscopic analysis, then try to practice pronoia rather than being paranoid. Be pronoid. Look for the positive things that are happening around you. There's a chance for all of us to have a bit of a rose colored glass on when we're evaluating the world. And I couldn't agree more with you. It's frustrating when you encounter those people who are always offended, always just kind of bristling. Somebody was described to me in my practice once as an emery board. Like they were always so scratchy. On the other hand, I think we all have a responsibility, in fact, you know, an opportunity every day to make things better between people by smoothing things out, by doing the simple things. As you say, Joe, when people read my book at first, they go, are you kidding? Do you really have to tell people to say please and thank you? And I'm like, yes, because if they did,
0: I wouldn't be telling you to do it. Well, well, and those niceties, those aren't just nice. And you call them niceties in the book. Niceties aren't just about being nice.
6: And in fact, I call them niceties on purpose to kind of mock what might be said about me before somebody's teasing me Um, (laughs) and that they are not nice to have. They are critical to have. They're not superficial. One of the things that a smile does, the book begins with a smile and a smile is a neuro hack. It is irresistible. I smile to you, you smile back. You can't resist it. We're biologically wired to connect to each other. And I always say, let biology work for you. Work is complicated enough. If you smile and that establishes a positive experience between people from that foundation and some of the others, when you have those misunderstandings, then you at least have patience for one another and a desire to get to the bottom of it. But you can't clear conflict and have really tough conversations if you haven't established the basic groundwork of respect.
0: Let's dive into a case study here. Early on, you talk about a gentleman named Jack. He doesn't smile a lot, Melanie, because of the fact that I think he takes his work really seriously. But tell me about Jack and more about him and how you kind of help Jack do better at work.
6: So, Jack is somebody who rose very quickly through the ranks at his office. And he did that because he worked hard. He took everything he did very seriously. And he'd come to work, goal directed, go into his office do whatever he needed to do, leave his office to go to wherever he needed to get to, and never really took the time to make small talk, to make eye contact, to even smile with the people around him. And it came back to
0: haunt him. Is that just because he's so focused on his work and doing a good job that he doesn't think that's important? I don't even think he thought about it. Uh, Quite
6: frankly, I think he came to work, saw that with mounting demands, there was more to do in less time, and that he was being paid to get the job done. Right, Right. And so in this effort to be highly efficient, which is a mistake I think so many of us make, we think that efficiency should trump civility. Well, being civil, having some of the small talk, making eye contact, smiling, just checking in, saying, how was your day? This isn't a waste of time. This speeds things up. This is kind of the grease of interpersonal relations. And I think Jack was missing the point. And he ultimately was assigned a coach because he was seen as a high potential leader, someone who had even more runway for his career. And when I told him the way that people were experiencing him, he was shocked. I mean, he took himself seriously. In his mind, he was doing the right things and he missed the importance of those daily interactions. And the fix was really simple. He was a highly motivated guy. I told him it's not going to take you that much time. In fact, use Biology, again, is your cue. You're going to the restroom, walk the hall one way, walk back another way, and
0: smile at some people on your way to and from. Boom. Yeah, still getting the job done. Still efficient. Just a smile. And that changed everything.
6: It changed a lot, right? Because it made him a warmer, more approachable person. You know, we create these inner dialogues about the people that we work with and don't actually check them out to see whether the data in our head checks out with the facts on the ground. So people had all sorts of ideas about Scotty, Jack, who's arrogant and above it all. And when people saw him, they, they suddenly had alternative information and allowed them to actually have a conversation with him. He became a person. He wasn't a figment of their imagination. You know, we just have very busy inner lives. And I try in my book to help people have the lives together in the reality that they're sharing versus whatever is going on in our internal dialogue.
0: Are there ever times when we shouldn't smile?
6: We shouldn't smile when delivering bad news. We don't want to smile when we are uncomfortable or throw in a smiley face at the end of an email that actually is filled with some difficult messaging. So a smile doesn't erase a conflict. It's not in place of a complex conversation. A smile is just as we've been describing, an in-person, spontaneous interaction that takes seconds and just lights up the world between people.
0: It's so funny. I feel like you and mom are on the same page because the next thing... I knew I liked her. (laughs) Well, smile first. And then the second thing is to say, please, I want to do another case study if you don't mind. Dr. Suarez is someone you talk about here. Patients in the doctor's office are rude. It got hard to enter the office for employees, the doctor, and for patients. Everybody seems to be unhappy. What did they do?
6: So... Dr. Suarez works, you know, here we are talking about some of the things that should be so easy, but oftentimes what happens is that people think it's your job. So if it's your job, I don't have to say please, and I don't have to say thank you. And that goes in many different directions. So in Dr. Suarez's office, the clientele was extremely entitled and their attitude was, I'm here, I'm here for service. And why am I waiting? And I want it now. And why is that person going into the treatment room before me? And why is it taking so long to run my credit card? And it was nasty. And it was infecting the doctor and the doctor's associates. And they said, what do we do when we see a disease? So the doctor said, we have a diagnosis. We know something is sick here. It's the mood. It's the quality of interaction. So what's the medicine that we need? So they decided that they needed to inject the office with civility. They were going to be purposefully focused on please and thank you and almost in a flamboyant way to model back to the patients that this is the way we treat people here, that this is about getting well and being well. The team enjoyed themselves and I think also communicated to the patients that they didn't have tolerance for that kind of nastiness.
0: And And it really changed the mood. That's what I was going to say. Everything changed in the office. All of a sudden, the patients changed.
6: The patients changed. And I think it also put the team on the same side. So when it was nasty, everybody was against each other. When they were able to take a step back and go, what are we doing to each other? This feels terrible. And that gets into something I talk about later on in the book is about recognizing that if you feel it, likely your colleagues feel it too. So if you can articulate that, then suddenly you're not on opposing sides. You are a team together trying to either elevate a positive emotion or figure out a way through a negative one. So when the team was able to say, it feels bad here. We feel sick, infected, negative. They were then able to come together and try out their please defense. And it worked.
0: When I was at American Express, in my job, I went from office to office and there was this receptionist in one office who was particularly horrible. And and she was about to get fired. But instead, the office manager, who is who I thought was a brilliant guy, sent her to a training session where he where they taught her something similar to what you're talking about. But the big aha she got because she went from being one of the worst receptionists. In our area to absolutely the best receptionist. And I asked her what had changed when she went to this training. And she said something that you just mentioned, which is, I realized that please and thank you and smiling was more selfish. It made me happier. Yes. And she said, "She said I thought it was always for these people. It's not for them. It, it made my job more fun." She goes, "I used to dread coming here for eight hours. Now it's it's phenomenal. She gets to know all the clients, all the people that come through, ask about their families, and it has nothing to do with them, Melanie. It has to do with her just enjoying herself."
6: That is exactly it, Joe. So, like, I have seen so many corporate culture change programs in my career, and companies spend a ton of money. They have big banners. They have offsites. They have... T shirts, the end of the day, those are events. They are not necessarily transforming the culture in the way that they express desire to. And the real change always comes from the person first. And so by writing Connect First, I wanted to give people the tools so that they could take control, make the changes, feel good about what they're doing. Because if you feel good about what you're doing, you'll do it more. And so, you know, like the receptionist in American Express, it's like, I have to change myself feel good about it that will then generate a cascading effect of positive impact with my team with my organization and ideally with the community
0: outside the doors of the company you have all of these all of these takeaways these phenomenal action steps at the end of each chapter i want to move ahead to thank yous because there's an action step in your thank you chapter that i thought was absolutely fantastic and you talk about creating an oprah moment. Yeah. Can can you tell everybody what creating an Oprah moment is around thank yous? Because I thought this was incredibly powerful.
6: I actually was at the O Magazine talking to one of the publishers there, and she described a moment in her life where she asked Oprah, who was her boss, to do her a great favor. And her favor was to say happy birthday to her son, which Oprah did. And my friend and client said, And I have it forever and I can play it and replay it. And I can show people that Oprah did this for my son and my son could show it and replay it. Now, not everybody works for Oprah, but we all can have that Oprah moment where you do something that has a lasting effect for somebody else because you recognize the power of your position to really recognize and enlighten theirs. So I have another client who's um, the head of global consumer products and she travels around the world and when she's in different markets she'll take pictures with people who are the receptionist or who's the janitor and she posts them on her instagram feed and she sends them the picture signed and it sits on their desk and it takes a second to take a picture and post it on social media and say welcomed into today's meeting by the most awesome receptionist well, do you think that receptionist isn't going to feel that much better and stands up that much taller? And I think we all have those Oprah moments where your presence makes a difference, and you use that as a thank you that has a lasting effect for the people around you.
0: That's it's just fabulous. And and I wonder, we all love being thanked for our work or for whatever our contribution is so much. I don't I don't know a person that doesn't absolutely love it. Why is it so damn hard for us to say it? Because it just seems like it's, it, it, for me, I got to say, it's very hard for me to say thank you. It is very difficult. Why so is it? why that? do you
6: think it's so hard?
0: I, I mean, you tell me. I, I don't know. Is it, oh, now we got the psychologist showing. I, I'm sorry, I, could, I couldn't help <laughs> it. I couldn't help it. But it's, I don't know if it's vulnerability, if it's what it is, if it's um, fear of getting too close to people. I don't know what it is.
6: Well, I think there's a little bit of that, which is. Stepping out of role. Again, it's like, this is your job. I don't need to thank you. Or am I giving something away by thanking you? Am I pumping you up? Does that make me get reduced in some way? So I think that sometimes people are afraid of praising another person for fear that they're going to make themselves seem less than which is exactly the wrong assessment. Because if you're in a position to thank or praise somebody, you're establishing yourself as the person who can pass a judgment. This is something worthy of being thanked. This is something that is a good job. In fact, if anything, delivering that kind of evaluation, that praise or that appreciation is a way of saying, I've taken stock and I'm telling you, this is good this is worthy of praise. It's worthy of appreciation. So we feel better about ourselves and help somebody else feel
0: better. Yeah. I like on your action list to try to thank somebody every day that doesn't expect to thank you from them. I I really like that. So this is, uh, uh, your book is separated. Let's talk a little bit about the book. It's available everywhere yesterday, which has got to be exciting by the way. So, So exciting. So exciting. You have it separated into 52 chapters and that obviously is for a reason. I wanted to give
6: people an opportunity if they wanted to have a year's worth of development. So you could pick one chapter and do it each week. You could do that alone. You could do that with colleagues. A company could roll this out as a program. It's probably the cheapest culture change program there is because it's the price of a book. We also have created card decks. You could create a calendar, but this gives you a chance to set an intention for each week and to practice something new. And although the book has a natural build, you can also dip in at any time and see where's the answer to the problem I'm facing today. So you could look see what you need put a bookmark in pass it over to a friend and say here just check this out read this section so i want to give people a lot of opportunity and take away all of the excuses and if you wanted, have a whole year of development
0: and you go through everything from being magnetic to leveraging your platform to have a bigger impact i'm just skipping around here uh inviting others in being a gracious host Apologizing, which uh, is another great chapter, stroking people's narcissism. <laughs> That's a very important chapter. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Offering people the gift of time, which nobody seems to have enough time. Available everywhere, correct?
6: Absolutely, it's available everywhere. And follow me on Melanie Cats at Melanie Katzman on Twitter, Facebook, all the social platforms, and read it tell me what you think
0: about it let's connect dr. Melanie Katzman thanks a ton for hanging out with us for a few minutes and talking about connecting I really appreciate it
6: thanks so much for having me Joe
2: hey there talk show trivia fanatics I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug and this weird talk show holidays got me thinking about a question which we can look up together wouldn't that be a great activity So here it is. What is the longest running talk show? Now, of course, you and I both know that I probably already know the answer uh, because, well, I'm a genius. Shout out to my 23 on my ACT. Bam! But uh, I'll give your little brains a moment to think about it and I'll be right back with the answer, which I'm only looking up just to verify because I already, already know it.
0: It's funny, OG, having Melanie Katzman here today. You know that we're always on the lookout for ways to help people improve their business and how they work in business. And as uh, somebody who spent their... Heck, both of us, haven't we? We both spent our careers as self-employed people. We both know that if you're not using Intuit QuickBooks for your financial management needs, you should be. It'll save you time, money, most of all, all the headaches that you're dealing with now. It makes payday easy. You can run payroll in less than five minutes with Intuit QuickBooks payroll, super easy to set up, super easy to access hours and to pay employees and contractors all at one time. So if you work with a mix of people like we do, makes it super simple, even though different people get paid different ways. You can submit payroll for your whole team right up until the day before payroll and employees can also view their pay stubs anytime Without having to ask you for paperwork, you don't have time to be continually going back and getting people little pieces of information. Everybody has their own employee portal. Of course, it's technology you can trust. You can rest easy knowing that every paycheck is correct, payroll tax calculations done for you. You can file and pay federal and state taxes yourself. Or you can have QuickBooks handle that for you. 100% penalty-free guarantee. QuickBooks will resolve filing errors and pay any penalty fees, too. It's customizable. That's what we super like here. Intuit QuickBooks payroll has options for businesses of all sizes from 1 to 150 employees. So listen to this. You can save an average of $600 annually by paying your employees with Intuit QuickBooks payroll. Check it out today at Intuit dot me slash SB that's into it dot me slash SB I N T U I T is how you spell into it dot me slash SB an average
2: of $600 bam welcome back talk show geeks I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug and I'm about to amaze you with today's trivia answer that I just looked up you know just to just to verify that I still am A genius, you know. I asked you what the longest-running talk show is, and before I answer, uh, let me give you a couple of hints. It ran from 1985 to 2010 on uh, just this tiny, tiny little network called, well, CNN. I've never heard of it, but apparently it was CNN's most watched and longest-running program, with over a million viewers nightly. Any guesses yet? How about another hint the show ended in december of 2010 and was then replaced by piers morgan tonight in january of 2011. if you guessed that guy who just got divorced again larry king and his show larry king live you would not only be correct but also you're probably older than 15. <laughs> that's all for me today i'll catch up with you guys later i'm gonna go squeeze in another episode of Jerry Springer, because that dude rules. See ya.
0: Big thanks to Dr. Katzman for hanging out with us. Isn't it funny? You've heard all those before, but the whole time she's talking, I'm like, I could be better at every single one of those. And yes, it would help. Yes, it would help a ton.
3: Especially if you were more complimenting to me and less degrading in the workplace.
0: Yes, I am hard to work with, but I'm easy <sighs> on the eyes. I've been told. <laughs> and you smell good. <laughs> I smell- <laughs> hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life, they put what you value first, great smelling people and cash in your wallet. Sure. I like it. Yes. It's your loved ones and your time is their answer. But that's ours today. Haven Life. So take that. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now, and you will get an instant free quote. Their application's simple, it's online, and bam, there's the quote right there. Prices are affordable. Policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160 years old. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Mitch. Say hi, Mitch.
1: Hey, Paula. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Before I ask my question, I just want to thank you for everything you do. We really learned a lot from your show and you really helped me broaden my views of personal finance. My question is, oh, you know what? I don't know how this happened, but I guess I called the wrong podcast. you were stacking secondary stack dollars, guys, aren't they? Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I won't learn anything, but I guess that's my question anyways. Currently 26 years old and make about $62,000 a year. I, with my employer match, I'm, Contributing fifteen percent to my 401k. Been in the workforce for about two years, so I'm kind of just starting out. Um, I have a modest emergency fund savings of about one and a half months expenses, which I'm planning on having up to three months expenses by the end of this year. Looking to buy a house in the near future, and I don't really have that much cash on hand. So my question is, do you guys think it would be a better idea to Decrease my 401k contributions so that I'm only getting the employer match and save up enough cash for down payment on the house. Or do you think, since this is my first home buy, it's not something I necessarily need to do? like to hear what you guys think. Tell Gertrude on the Excel.
0: See ya. <laughs> Mitch, I gotta say, Mitch had us. He had us. We're like, Paula, what?
3: I thought there might be a, a game afoot.
0: Well, he got me. As somebody who appears whenever Paula has Q&As, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. You're on the wrong show.
3: Next Actually, you were like, the stupid
0: producers screwed up again. <laughs> so tired of their crap.
3: I said, just play it out. It'll probably
0: be all right. Taylor, what are you doing? No. Nice job, Mitch. Way to bring it. Let's talk about that. Balancing that long-term goal against the house.
3: Yeah. I mean, no, you don't get to buy a house. Like, why would you sacrifice your retirement for a house, assuming that that's really what would happen? You know, you're saving 15% toward your retirement, I think is what he said, with a little bit of a company match. Not a full cash reserve yet, but working on it. No down payment for the house. I don't see why you would let off the gas on your retirement savings to go buy something that's going to cost you more money. So I would suggest doing that in the order that you're already doing it. Get the cash reserve built up try on six months of cash for size and see what you think of it. Do not spend the cash reserve for your house down payment because that will be what you're tempted to do and keep your retirement plan savings to where they are and then find other ways to save more money. Maybe a side hustle, maybe you get a you know promotion next year at work or a bonus or something like that. You didn't say how big of a house you're trying to buy in terms of price. So this might be a three year goal or a five year goal or it might be a 10 year goal to save enough money for a house. But, um, gosh, I just don't like the idea of you've already got the system set up in place already. You've already got that 15% going to retirement. You're working on building a cash reserve. Why do you want to tear that whole thing down just to start over again? Doesn't sound very appealing to me.
0: Whenever you think about financial independence, Mitch, you want to think about, uh, what the most difficult areas to change are once you get them set up and what the biggest rocks are to move that are going to have the biggest impact. And, For most of us, where we live is going to be the biggest expense that we have. So covering that is going to be number one. Now, interesting, they say that auto is number two, but I might throw for a lot of people, your education expense might end up being number two, right? The amount of money that you spend on that. Look at the huge student loan problem. But barring that, they say that number two is your decisions on the car you drive. And then number three is your food costs. So those are bam, 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 in order, the ones that you knock off. Now, if buying a house, though, is far more important to you than retirement is, and you know you're going to feel that way when you're 60 years old, that having a nice house was more important, and you're okay then, later on, future you, working longer because of it, who are we, OG, to tell him you know not to buy the house first?
3: I just don't think that any rational person would actually do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? you can't tell me that you know how you're going to feel at 65. No different than the opposite of that being true. So you do buy the house. How do you know that you're not going to be at 65 super peed off at yourself for having done that True. and cost you years? True. So if if you assert that you can say, well, this is how I feel, then I'll assert that you might actually feel the other way. But what we can do is look look at the dollars associated with it and more specifically around behavior. And so as you build that muscle of behavior of doing good decision-making for your financial planning life, you're still in like infancy of that. So you've got it set up. So the next thing is, okay, instead of making 65 grand, let's go make 75 grand. And pretty soon you'll make 85 grand. I was visiting with a client yesterday and uh, we were talking about progress toward their financial plan. And I think we get so focused on like the next thing that we forget where we've come from. We forget like how, just how crazy the change has been over a, over a longer period of time. You know, we look year to year we look kind of on the next thing I got to get this next goal or I'm trying to, you know, I'm only at 400,000 trying to get 500,000, whatever it is. And that was the case with these folks. He's like, yeah, I really, I'm really looking forward to hitting half a million in my, you know, total investment accounts for retirement. They're in their forties and he's looking at it going, there's no way I'm gonna hit 2 million. And we pulled up a financial plan from 2005. So a little bit over, you know, a decade ago, 13 years ago, I guess, 14 years. And that year they made $80,000 this year, half of the year he made (laughs) $80,000 and his spouse made 90,000 for the year. And their total account balance in 2005 was 53,000 and now it's 453,000. You got to focus on like where you've come from. And some of that is just all the building of the muscle and the good decision making over the years. And so you're doing that. Just keep doing that.
0: I'm thinking about uh, you know they talk about sequence of return risk in retirement, like the nerds out there about Which how kind of isn't
3: a thing. But about, go ahead about
0: how if you get the wrong sequence, I'll, I'll drop
3: that. I'll drop that die marker in the water. Oh well, you? Yeah? I don't think I don't think that's a thing. We'll talk oh. about that some other time.
0: Oh, really? Really? It's math. The sorry. Uh, well, some smart people have talked about it, but anyway, nerd! when the nerd yeah. t- when the nerds talk about this. Nerd! okay i get it He's okay like so i played it twice i didn't mean to, to i'll keep my hands off that for now on no more sound clips for joe maybe too much coffee this morning but i'm thinking also a sequence of uh, how you attack problems also is something i'm going to brag about my friend joe i know joe listens to the show sometimes shout out to joe uh, uh i remember talking about yourself nope Believe it or not, another dude named Joe. Infinitely cooler than me, by the way. Infinitely. But Joe was somebody who early on prioritized retirement savings over everything else. And at the time, he had no interest in fire. I mean, nobody talked about that. He had no interest in fire. He liked working. You know what he hated? He hated saving for retirement. And he said, my goal is not to retire. It's not to do anything differently. I just don't want a huge part of my paycheck going to this crap anymore. So I'm going to flood it with as much money as possible early on.
3: Get it over with.
0: Get it over with. Which which if you think about the sequence of doing things now, Joe, uh, roughly my age, Joe's at a point now where his contributions don't matter hardly at all compared to what that money does, how well it's invested. Having that money in the market in the right spot, far more important than the money he's putting in this year. Maybe he's not putting in money this year. I don't know, but it's pretty cool. So if Mitch takes that approach and goes, listen, I'm going to stockpile that long-term stuff, well, then he'll get a nice house. I just visited with Joe. He lives in a nice house. He's got really nice cars. And you know what? He can afford all that stuff. And you know that his retirement's also taken care of. I think if he does it the other way around, Mitch, as you're talking, I'm thinking this, Mitch does that the other way and does the house first. It makes it way more difficult to get the mm-hmm. retirement, to get the yeah. other stuff. Thanks for the question, Mitch. You got a question for the show? Head to com forward slash. This is the secret room forward slash voicemail, voicemail. That's the way you leave us a message. And uh, Gertrude then sends you a little something something, meaning meaning a, meaning, a greatest money show on earth, Haven Life t-shirt. And then uh, your name also goes into our weekly competition. And by the way, Melanie Katzman talks about saying please and thank you. Mom's been giving out these gifts now for a few weeks to people who've won the competition. Just saying, haven't heard one thing yet from any of those winners. And we want to start bragging on you. Maybe
3: the things that we send them suck.
0: <laughs> Maybe they do. I don't know, man. They're from mom. If they were from you and me, that would be one thing. The fact okay. that they're from mom is a whole, whole different deal. All right. And uh, lastly is uh, this. If uh, you're looking for good financial planning help in your corner and you want to reset for a better 2020 Guess what? OG and his team, they are taking clients. So head to stacking forward slash OG for more on that front. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here, man. That's always the most precarious thing to say, Doug, you've got it from here, (laughs) right? What should we have learned today?
2: Well, Joe, first we learned how to amplify success at work through the power of human connection. All thanks to Dr. Melanie Katzman. please. And thank you. We don't say them enough. Second, we found out why security lawyers called on FINRA to halt expungement processes. Maybe broker check needs to be revised. But the big lesson? The results are in. And stackers. I am your favorite podcast announcer. I I know it wasn't an official poll, but... Joe's mom's a fan and you all like Joe's mom so I just thought you know special thanks to Dr. Melanie Katzman for stopping by you'll find links to her new book connect first on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com this show was created by Joe Salcihai produced by Richie Rudder-Reese and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Looking for the secret of life? Make sure you check out our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com.
0: feel lucky, A, to have any friends at all, but B, to have friends that are as funny as some of our friends are. Lacey Langford, who does the Military Money Show, you'd agree with me, OG, is one of the funniest people we know. Uh, yeah, she's pretty funny. Absolutely. She shared this on Facebook. This is news from just over a week ago. I don't know if you saw this. This is from Eater, uh, the popular website Eater. First Waffle House... To sell beer has opened in Atlanta. <laughs> Waffle House opened its second outpost at SunTrust Park on Monday night. While the only food listed on the menu are several variations of their famous hash browns, the kiosk became the first Waffle House to sell beer. Park patrons can now order a Miller Light or Coors Light with their smothered and covered hash browns.
4: <laughs> what? what
0: could, so, so Waffle House, most populated at 2 a.m. when people are drunk. Now you can just, just keep them drunk. Well, either that or just get rid or of the middleman. Get them drunk. Who needs yeah. to go to the bar just at 10 o'clock? Just head for the waffle house.
3: Yeah. But I do that at five o'clock. You just hang out at waffle house. Now they just need some televisions and some wings. You watch the game.
0: A, ro- a roll, a little, a uh, roll for a full of quarters for the jukebox.
3: Yeah. That. And you know, you can get uh, like one of those little appetizer platters with the mozzarella cheese sticks just basically, they should turn in Buffalo Wild Wings.
0: Do you go to Waffle House much? Have you been to Waffle House? Waffle I don't House. think
3: that I've ever been to a Waffle House in my entire life.
0: Oh, so you don't know the whole hash brown thing? I'm afraid
3: not. I guess, I guess I've, I'm, I've been left out. Waffle
0: for... House has phrases. I can't believe I got to explain Waffle House to you. But Waffle House has phrases for all of the different ways that you can get your hash browns. So I get them smothered, covered, capped, and chunked which means
3: seems like it'd be too much to remember
0: smothered on the grill with onions in them and, and cheese covered is, is, is the cheese. I think capped is with mushrooms and chunked is with ham. So I get them with ham, onions, mushrooms, and cheese.
3: So basically you get an omelet without eggs
0: An omelet with no egg and just hash brown, lots of hash brown <laughs> and, and I get the hash. Where do
3: you get your angioplasty? The hashlet. Is that, that, oh, come, is oh, that in the back corner? After well, you, you have done?
0: a couple couple quarters extra because they got a defibrillator over in the over in the corner of the. <laughs>
3: hmm. I've definitely never been to a Waffle
0: House. Ah, uh, I don't know. I do not know. I do not know what you're missing. Well, let's talk about the Waffle House for a second with with Jim Gaffigan.
4: I I thought the IHOP was a dump until I went into a Waffle House. Wow, they're not even trying in there. Here's something you'll never hear in a Waffle House. Nice job cleaning up. (laughs) Now, if you've never been to a Waffle House, just imagine a gas station bathroom that sells waffles. (laughs) You've been to a Waffle House. And
3: i envisioned
4: it. I love Waffle House. And not just because watching someone fry an egg while they're smoking reminds me of my dad. It's the people in there. It's like a white trash convention. Or for me, a family reunion. It's so white trash in there, it makes the IHOP appear international. I've seen a gun five times in my life. Three of them have been in Waffle House. It's definitely a dangerous feel to them. You know, there's... Even the Waffle House sign looks like a ransom note. There's always a letter out. Occasionally it'll be the W, so it'll read Awful House. Uh, that's where I want to go at 2 a.m. That's when everyone goes. Their slogan should be, it's 2 a.m., still time to make one more bad decision.